Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. I'm excited to get in the Word with you. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 22 because we are in our series called March to the Cross, and we've been touching on a few subjects. Last week, we actually discussed and talked about the garden. We talked about hell. We had a conversation about the reality of hell. And this week, we're going to talk about the betrayal. So we're going to get into the betrayal together. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Just a quick announcement with everything. Just if you're looking for any more announcements, because there's so much that's always happening in this house, and just if you're looking for where do I get these announcements, our app is the place to go. If you go to our app, everything's there, our community groups, our connect groups, everything you want to see. So download that at the app store, and you will be on your way. That was a good infomercial. You'll be on your way. All right. Let's pray together. Let's get into it. Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord, this morning, Lord Jesus. We thank you for an opportunity to come into this house and to just worship you. And Lord, you remind me of worship, that worship is a place of declaration and intercession that, that holds back that antichrist spirit. It restrains it so that your work could be done on this earth. There's a day where that restraint is going to be removed, And the Bible says one day when it's removed, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will come. But for now, it's the church, and it's the worship and the intercession of the church that holds it back so that you can accomplish your purposes in this day and age. God, we thank you that we got to be a part of that this morning together, corporately in worship. But now we turn to the word, and we ask that you would continue to equip us. You'd prepare us for more of the work that you have for us as a local body and throughout the world God, we ask that you would anoint this word and you would multiply it to the needs that are in this place. And you would begin to give us clarity and vision of what you're doing in this time and in this season and how it really implies and applies to us, Lord God. God, we commit it to you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 22, and I'm gonna read verses 45 through 54. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and a man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. You know, when I was going to school to be a photographer in my early 20s, um, I took a studio class. 
and the professor taught you how to use the lights in a studio, um, how to put the paper background up, how to sync all of the equipment. Uh, but one of the things they taught you when you were having one of these studio sessions was how to maintain control over a shoot even though it looks like you don't have any control. See, when you have these types of studio sessions and you have a, a famous musician, a politician, a movie star, most of the time they want to feel in control with how they look. They, they want to tell you which angle to shoot them at and so on and so on. But a really great photographer knows how to make their subject comfortable and feel like they're in control even though they're not. In fact, one of the greatest fashion photographers of all time, Richard Avedon, he had to do a shoot with Prince Edwards and his wife, the Duke and the Duchess of Windsor. And when he was doing the shoot, he was photographing them for almost an hour, and they were all smiley, and they were well-composed, and they were happy. But Avedon was looking for a picture that was more real than that. And what he did is he noticed that they had a little dog with them, with, with them at the shoot. And they would go and they'd pick up the dog and they'd pet the dog and hang out with the dog every time there was a break. And Avedon came up with this plan. When they came back after petting the dog and doing all of that, he made up this story. And this is what he said. He said, I saw a puppy get run over on the way to the studio today earlier in the morning. And when he said that, their faces just dropped. I mean dropped. And he got the photo he was looking for. In fact, let me show you the photograph. I'll put it up on screen. This is the photograph he took. And this is a worldwide famous photograph. This hangs in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's in all types of photo books. They have been forever immortalized with this picture everywhere. I mean, it's in galleries all over the world, everywhere you would see it. And this is how he got the picture. He, he, he made up a story to be able to drop their defense, to be able to drop their faces. There's another fashion photographer, Diane Arbus. Um, she's really famous, and she was famous for shooting her subjects for over an hour without any film in the camera. No film. And after they were worn out from posing, she would put a roll in, and she would take about five pictures, and then she'd end the shoot. So she'd, she'd put a roll in, she'd take five or six pictures, says we're all done, and she said she saw all of her subjects that way, and she said, because I had to get their defenses to fall. I, I had to, in some measures, get them to relax so that the real them could come forward and eventually be seen. See, all these photographers had different strategies. They had different tricks. They had different tips of how to make their subjects feel like they were in control, even though they were the ones that were actually calling the shots. And when you read through Jesus' portrayal here in Luke chapter 22, that is exactly what is going on. In fact, let me read, read just a few verses. I want to read verse 52 through 54. It says, And Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. Now, when you read through the narrative of Jesus' betrayal, it's really easy to become confused with what you're seeing and ultimately misunderstand who's actually in control. Right, right, Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect spotless lamb, he says, this is your hour. This is the hour of the power of darkness. And in the original Greek, it actually means the hour of the authority of darkness. And when you're looking at what's actually happening, that makes perfect sense. I mean, Jesus is being betrayed. Jesus is being arrested. Jesus is being tied up and chained, right? Jesus is being led away 
to be questioned and to be lied about and to be mocked and to be hit by raging mob. Jesus and his disciples are outnumbered. Jesus and his disciples only have one weapon between all of them. Jesus and his disciples are surrounded by the crowds. It was the hour of the power and the authority of darkness. And yet, look at who's speaking the whole time. I mean, this is hilarious when you really see what's actually going on. Right? Because Jesus starts it by confronting and exposing Judas. He says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Then he turns his attention to the reaction of his disciples. And he begins to confront them and deal with their behavior. But he doesn't stop there. Then he begins to speak to the high priest, the officers, the elders. And he begins to convict them of their hypocrisy and their fear of man. He said, I was in the temple. You never arrested me there. What, were you too scared? Too chicken? Now that we're out here in the dark, now you're ready to go to bat? He's, he's literally calling people out. See, it might be the hour of the power of darkness, but watch this. Watch who's in control of everything that's happening. See, when you read through the scripture, you start paying attention to who's speaking. You start paying attention to who's addressing everyone. You start paying attention to who's calling out who. You begin to realize it's not the darkness that's in control. It's Jesus that's in control. And Jesus is allowing the hour of the power of darkness and even leading it. That's what's crazy. He's picking up people's ears as he's getting arrested and performing miracles. Who do you think is in charge? Right? He's, he's calling. He's yelling. He's saying, hey, you're a hypocrite. You're this. Hey, Judas, you're going to betray me. Right? Jesus is leading this. He is allowing it for the purposes of God and for the glory of the Lord. But this is what I want to do. I want to look back at the reaction of the disciples and begin to draw out some application for our lives when we're talking about the hour of the power of darkness. And let me ask you a question. Let me put you up on the screen because this is where we're going to go. And this is what I want you to see. Did the disciples realize that Jesus was in control of the hour of the power of darkness? That Jesus was in control of what was happening during his betrayal? Well, of course not. I mean, P Peter pulls out a sword. He cuts off one of the servant's ears. Jesus has to rebuke him. Jesus has to bend down in the middle of his arrest. He has to heal the man's ear, the servant's ear that actually was cut off, right? See, see the disciples and Peter, I want you to get this, they were reacting to the hour of the power of darkness out of their fear, out of their confusion, out of their self-preservation. They were reacting to it at what seemed best, the best idea that they can have in the moment instead of getting their direction and their leading from God. And this is just a sidebar. I didn't even put this in the notes, but I just want you to get this. Why did they react to the hour of the power of darkness out of their fear and out of their confusion instead out of the direction and the leading of the Lord? You want to know why and how? It's because they didn't pray. They fell asleep and they didn't continue in a place of prayer. 
They were in that place of intimacy and communion with the Lord when the hour of the power of darkness actually came. And because of that, they were not being able to react out of the directions and the leadings of God, but out of the fear and the confusion of their heart. And I'm going to say this as a loving warning. We have a church age that has abandoned the place of corporate prayer together. We don't pray. And what we're about to see come on this earth, I'm going to tell you, people are going to react. Christians are going to react, but it's going to be out of fear and it's going to be out of confusion instead of the leading and the direction of God. And we're going to miss the calling and the ministry that God wants to do through our lives. That was just a sidebar. Listen to me. The hour of the power of darkness is something every Christian will experience in their walks with God. It is a season where the walls of protection that God puts around us are taken away. The walls of protection he puts around us and the walls and the barriers of protection that he puts around the world to be able to keep different spirits and different things at bay, they get removed and it seems like the enemy is just let loose without any checks or any balances. Let me put this up on the screen. I want you to see this. But the hour of the power of darkness is also, and get this, an hour of spiritual darkness inside of us that blinds our minds, it blinds our hearts, it blinds our souls during the chaos. There's the hour of the power of darkness that's without us, but there's an hour of the power of darkness that's also within us. It happens both ways. In fact, let me try to explain. There's one common theme that happens to Jesus all through his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, his death. And do you know what that theme is? Everybody, and I mean everybody, mocks him. The chief priests mock him. The mob mocks him. The Roman soldiers mock him. The Jews mock him, right? The elites mock him. The common people, they mock him. Every single class. Every single class of every single nationality mocks Jesus. And why were they mocking him? Well, let me show you why they were mocking him through an example in the Old Testament of one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, the prophet of Elijah. And I want to show you how the, the king of Israel in 2 Kings chapter 1 sends 50 soldiers to go and to arrest Elijah. Watch this. 2 Kings chapter 1 verse 9 through 13 says, Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah who was sitting on top of a hill and he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, and he said this, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Okay, whoa, it gets better. Again, the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered him, If I am a man of God? Let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And fire from God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the king sent the captain of a third 50, third time with his 50. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. Oh, man of God, please, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. See, they were mocking Jesus because they were comparing him 
to who and what they thought a prophet of God should look like. They were saying when soldiers and officers are sent to a prophet of God, fire falls from heaven and consumes them. These officers went to you, and there was no fire from heaven. In fact, they could lay their hands on you. They could bind you with ropes. They could bind you with chains, and absolutely nothing. They were mocking him. They were saying, if you're a prophet of God, how in the world can I do this? Boom. They'd hit him across the face, and they would mock him. And what they were saying is, God doesn't work this way. He doesn't work through brokenness. He doesn't work through weakness. He doesn't work through trials. No, 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 no. Our God is a triumphant God. Our God vanquishes our enemies with fire from heaven. Our God always takes us and delivers us and preserves us from worldly sorrows. See, this is where the rubber starts to hit the road. Because when we look out over the world and we see Russia invading Ukraine and we see people just dying, just being slaughtered, we look at two-faced lying politicians who are being given more and more power. We look at the working class and the poor being oppressed, being exploited by the elites. We look at all the changes that are happening in the world and how they're shaking us. Do you realize what's happening? Everything is changing. Every worldwide economy is becoming something different. The, the, the worldwide powers are beginning to shift. And it's beginning to shake us. It's shaking our families. It's shaking our personal lives. It's shaking our churches. It's shaking our communities. And when we see all of these things, this is an hour of the power of darkness. This is a time where the enemy, where the, literally the shield, the walls of protection have been removed. And the enemy is allowed to wreak havoc and to begin to go at it. But there's also a natural darkness inside all of us that when we see the hour of the power of darkness, we want to mock. We all want to mock. Every single one of us. We want to say, well, God doesn't really care about the world. God doesn't really care about all these people that are losing their life. Why am I even praying anymore? God doesn't care about my neighbors. God doesn't care about my family. This is not how a loving and a good God works. There's a mockery that wants to come up in all of our hearts. In fact, let me put this on the screen and let me show you this. We give in to the spiritual blindness and we mock God when we look at the suffering and the trials in the world and think that God has no plan or that this is not God's way. We mock them. We do exactly what everybody else did when they had Jesus in their custody. We do the exact same thing. I hear churches all the time, well, this isn't the kingdom of God, and this isn't the, let me tell you, Jesus said there'll be wars, and there's going to be rumors of wars. Now, I'm not making light of war, but I'm going to tell you, it's a reality. Guess what? If Jesus said it, it's going to happen. There's going to be persecution. Some in this room might even lose your lives for the gospel. Jesus warns about all of those things. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13, it says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings 
that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 8 says, In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Now notice that. It doesn't say one or two. Various. It says, and you're grieved. That, that part, grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Watch this. Peter says, don't act surprised or feel surprised by all these fiery trials that come down on your mind or come down on your life or come down on your community or come down on your nation or come down in the world. He says, no, all these trials are being used by God to do what? To test us. All of these things, these fiery trials are being used by God to refine our faith. They're being used by God to do something inside of us and inside of his church. Well, what are these fiery trials and what are all these things doing in us and inside of his church? Well, let me put it up on the screen. Number one, they're molding us. And number two, they're purifying us. They mold us and they purify us. See, when a goldsmith or a jeweler takes a piece of silver and they want to make that piece of silver, they want to refine it into a piece of jewelry, do you know what they do? They stick that piece of silver into a fire and they heat it up because only when the silver is hot can it be molded into what they want to make. Now this is important. I want you to hear this because I want you to see this. The silver cannot be molded without the fire. It's not possible. Bang on it with hammers all you want. Put it into a vise, pull on it with pliers, but it is the fire that makes it moldable. See, when God begins to stick us into fires, when God begins to stick the world into fires, can I be honest, what he is doing is he's beginning to create inside of us and to mold into us a sensitivity and a necessity to begin to be able to hear his voice and to begin to cherish his promises. He begins to reprioritize our lives and he begins to shape us and mold us in a whole new way. Where now when we come home, we're not watching Netflix every single night, all night long, binge watching. But now there's prayer and there's worship coming out of the houses of God up to heaven. That's what's happening. Not only that, but now the church begins to come back to the corporate prayer meetings. It begins to be reprioritized. We begin to realize this is a necessity. That everything we're holding on to, everything we're trying to keep some type of sanity is being burned up in the midst of the fire. And we got to get back to a place of prayer. We got to get back to a place of seeking God's face. We got to make it the priority. It shapes us and it begins to mold us. It brings the church back to the corporate prayer meeting again. It begins to put fasting and waiting on the Lord back into our walks with him. It begins to make missions and seeing souls saved the priority of our lives because through the fire and through the pain, all the distractions and the entertainment begin to be stripped off of us. They, they don't have the type of effects that they used to have before. The fire begins to create in us a hunger, get this, for his coming. 
it gets us detached from this world that we're all holding on to so tightly. Our jobs, our careers, whether we feel like failures or successes, all the things we give, all our times and air, all that begins to go in the middle of the fire and you start looking up to heaven and you say, any day, God, any day I'm awaiting, I long to be back in your presence. I long for you. It creates a hunger inside of something that none of us even walk in. We don't even know the full extent of because we've never been in a fire like this before. That's what it starts doing in the people of God. See, all the preaching in the world, and I want you to get this, can't do that. You can sit under a hundred sermons. You could come every Sunday and listen and listen and listen. But the preaching cannot mold you and cannot shape you. It's only the fire. It's when he puts you into the fire. See, get this. The preaching, I want you to get this, gives you the understanding and the encouragement of what's going on in the fire to be able to walk through it and be molded and shaped by God. It doesn't mold you and shape you. It's the fire that begins to do that. It's the circumstances that God lets us walk through in our lives and even around the world. But the preaching is what gives us the encouragement. The preaching is what gives us the understanding that this isn't foreign. This isn't strange. Like Peter was trying to say to the early church, this is how God works. And even though we're going through it, it's doing something in me and in his church around the world. See, not only does it mold us, but I want you to get this, it also purifies us at the exact same time. See, when the economy starts to fall apart, when inflation starts going crazy, when World War III could quite possibly be a very real reality, do you know what that begins to do? It begins to put pressure on our minds and on our hearts. And every day we live under this pressure. You know what that pressure begins to do? It begins to create a sensitivity inside of us towards sin. We see sin in a whole new light. That little bit of pornography that we used to indulge in to feed that area of lust where it would objectify women and destroy relationships. That materialism where we're always needing that next new thing that we're purchasing and it just ends up in the garage or the closet and we're like, oh, that's where that thing went, right? The gossip, the lying that we do without even thinking twice about it, suddenly through the pain that we're experiencing around the world and what we're dealing with and what we're seeing, it begins to create something inside of us, this sensitivity like never before, and we begin to hate it in a new way like we never hated it before. We start, looking, we start praying at night, I don't want to be addicted to this anymore, Lord. I don't want to play with this anymore. It starts creating just this hatred, this disgust, this place of I don't want to stay here. I don't want to allow this stuff to have me in any place of bondage, not with what I'm seeing, not through the pain, not through the pressure that I'm experiencing. It's rechanging, it's molding something, and it's purifying something inside of me. We begin to realize that if we hold on to our pet sins, we lose the ability to hear his voice. We lose the ability to be able to be moved by his spirit. We lose the ability to receive revelation in our devotion times in the word and in our corporate worship time of his love and his comfort that produces in us his joy and his peace, which is something that we need now because where we had a false peace and all these institutions in other places, they are now being stripped by the fire. They're being removed. 
And God says, that's a false peace. Leaders, worldwide governments, your bank account, your career, your false peace, false peace, false peace, false peace. It purifies, it removes, and it creates in us an understanding. No, I need the real thing. I can't play around with pet sins anymore. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed is the pure in heart for they will. And I say this lovingly, but it's the truth. If you're dabbling and playing with pornography, if you're dabbling in these areas, in these places, you're allowing those things into your spirit and your heart, you will no longer be able to see God. You can't see him working in your life. You can't see his authority. You can't see his majesty. God says, no, there needs to be a purity of heart if you're going to be able to see and, and the fire begins to purify us. It begins to do that in us. See, the fire molds and it purifies the silver. Now, here's the crazy part. Here's the crazy part. Because I was listening to a pastor who was preaching on some of this, about this fire this last week. And he said something that just caught my attention. He said that when a refiner puts a piece of silver into a furnace, that he has to watch the heat of the fire. This is what he said, because listen to me, if it's not hot enough, it doesn't bring out the impurities and burns them away, but if it's too hot, it could damage the silver. So this is what he said that blew me away. He said a refiner back in the days of the Bible would come and they'd take a chair, they'd take a stool when they would come to the fire, when they'd come to the furnace, they'd put the silver in, then they would sit down and they would watch it. They would watch the fire and make sure it doesn't get too hot and it doesn't get too cool. And do you know how the refiner knew that the temperature was just right? This will blow your mind. This is how he did it. He sat there looking into the furnace and he'd look into that silver until he could see his reflection. When he saw his reflection, get this, he knew the impurities had been brought out and burned away. And he knew he had to get the silver out before he damaged the material. It was the reflection of the refiner that needed to be seen in the silver that told them when and where the temperature was too hot or too cold. Listen to me. The fires we are experiencing in the world right now is just what the church needs to become all that God intended it to be in this generation. Yes. It's not too hot and it's not too cold, it's just right. And God is watching it. He is watching it. See, God wants to birth something through his church that will touch and affect the world. God wants to birth another great move of his spirit. God wants to birth another prayer movement. God wants to birth an overflow of missionaries that are gonna go to the ends of the earth to bring in this last end time harvest. God wants to birth revival in our nation and in our streets. God wants to birth a church that is pure and separate and consecrated from the world. And he needs the fire to be able to do it. Let me put this up on the screen. I want to read this to you. This is Psalm 66. It's verse 8 on. And I want you to see this because this blew me away this week. Praise God, all you peoples. Praise him everywhere. Let everyone know you love him. There's no doubt about it. God holds our lives safely in his hands. He's the one who keeps us faithfully following him. Oh, Lord, we have passed through your fire. Now, watch this. Whose fire is it? Okay. It's the hour of the power of darkness, remember? Who's in control? 
It says, we pass through your fire like precious metal made pure. You've proved us, perfected us, made us holy. You even captured us, ensnared us in your net. Then like prisoners, you place chains around our necks. You've allowed, ooh, listen to that, allowed our enemies to prevail against us. I know a lot of people are saying, it feels like there's a lot of enemies against the church that are prevailing. Look what it says. You allowed them to prevail against us. We have passed through fire and flood, yet in the end, you always bring us out better than we were before. Saturated with your goodness. He says, no, 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 no. We're going through fire and flood. This is tough and it's painful and we need one another and we need to stand in a gap and we need to enter. Yes, but this is what he said. He said, when we go through the fire flood, we always come out on the other side better than we were before. We have been molded and we have been purified. We can hear the voice of God. We can allow him to lead us. We have boldness and courage. We have his heart. We have his burden. He's now leading. Our priorities have been straightened out. He says, we come out better than where we were before. See, the disciples experienced the hour of the power of darkness. They were there during Jesus' betrayal when all the walls of protection were let down and the enemy had free reign. But the disciples also experienced the hour of the power of darkness inside their hearts where they lost the ability to see that God, Jesus, was still in control of everything that was happening and he was in control of the heat of the fire. He was controlling it so that he could mold his disciples, he could purify his disciples, so that he'd be able to use them to be able to birth the New Testament church. See, you can't pray for a genuine move of God in this generation and not understand that the fire always comes first. You can't say, oh God, sweep through and save. You can't say, oh God, do something in our churches and do things and not expect a fire that's going to begin to break out. There's always a fire that comes in the midst of this. Now, I know this is a hard message because people are thinking like, well, that sounds really indifferent. There's people that are losing their lives and people, no, we stand in the gap. We weep, we pray, we seek, but God is still ultimately in control with everything that's happening. I don't understand it sometimes. I don't always get it, but he's leading and he's directing even in the midst and he has a plan. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, Springs Church. Let me close I asked the worship team to come out. And can I just say this in, my, in closing here? True joy, and I mean real joy and true peace, only comes through the refiner's fire. It's not through your circumstances. It's not through what you have or you don't have. It only comes by being conformed more into the image of God. That's where joy and peace comes from. And you'll find out. You'll you'll find out nothing in this world will ever satisfy or bring you the joy and the peace that you're hoping for unless you're being more and more conformed into his image and you're experiencing more and more of his presence. It only comes through the fire. And God said, this is how I begin to awaken my church. This is how I begin to bring him joy and peace in the midst of everything that's happened, that they might be a testimony to me. Hallelujah. 
I'm going to ask the worship team, they're going to sing a song together, the refiner's fire. But as we sing it, the Lord put an altar time on my, my heart, and it's this. Some of you have been going through the pain, and some of you have been going through the refining that I've been talking about. And in the midst of it, this is what God put on my heart as I was coming in and getting ready for this morning. There's a lot of impurities that are starting to come out of your heart. You're starting to see areas of lust that you never saw before. You're starting to see areas of anger that you never saw before. You're starting to see areas of selfishness. Can, can I be honest? God, God dealt with this this week as I was just in prayer with him. You spend so much time just praying for your family. and Pray for Ukraine. Pray for the nations. Pray for, pray for my kingdom. All that I got. I got it. He started just exposing my selfishness. Just showing some things in my heart. Things are starting to come out. And you know what God is saying? He's saying, would you come to me this morning, allow my spirit to begin to just pull that stuff away, rip that stuff away. Areas of bitterness in your families, areas of bitterness with friends, lying, whatever it might be. God says, As this stuff is coming out. Let me deal with it in your heart. Let me refine you. And if you feel like, you know what, that's something I just, I need to respond to the Lord about and allow his Holy Spirit to do something in me. I just want to open up this altar. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down, but I'm going to open up this altar and I'm going to ask you just to come forward. And as we worship, I want you just to respond to God, not me. And you talk to the Lord about what's going on in your heart and let him begin to remove it. Let him begin to get at it. Amen. Come forward. And I'm going to let the worship team just lead us. Come forward. Hallelujah. 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 Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.